the GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Hey Mike, what's up, man? How you doing? It's been uh, been a pretty big week for the two of us. Uh, lots to announce, I would have to say, mm-hmm. or at least at least one thing each. I don't know. Oh yeah, well, I mean, I guess uh, uh, my big announcement is that I went outside today. Oof. How was that? What was that like? Well, it's a whole it's a whole new world out there. You know, just like like the movie says. Like the uh, the you're talking about Aladdin, <laughs> yeah, Aladdin. That's the correct. This, yes, <laughs> this is what they were talking about back in 1995 when that movie came out or whatever. A whole new world. That uh, uh, who sings that song? Is there like it's Aladdin and Jasmine? Yeah, but like, did someone's famous write that song? Like, you know how uh, like no, it's not like Elton John or or Phil Collins with yeah. Tarzan. No, it was uh, it was a guy. I did. I mean, I'm sure he's very well known in the musical scene in that uh, in the movie musical scene. But mm-hmm. I think he was a composer for a few Disney films back in the day. Mm-hmm. He wrote that song in one day. That I know. That's interesting. I didn't know that. I love it when like amazing songs like that are like, yeah, I wrote this in like 15 minutes. It's like go self. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, I was going to say, you're also, congratulations, you are now a foster parent. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have a, a a cat here named Max, who we are fostering. You know, he's He came from a hoarding situation, mm. so he, uh, you know, he's, he's had some tough times, and uh, he didn't get along with a lot of uh, other cats. He, I, think he, I think he got bullied. You know, he was in a bullying situation. Oh, no, that's no good. Mostly cyberbullying. It's not like the Rockstar game bully. It wasn't like that. <laughs> no, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's he's scared of a lot of stuff. He's very shy, but uh, little Max is, you know, making his way and uh, hopefully he'll be doing better soon. I've seen him on the social medias because he has his own page or something like that. You got I, the GameCube podcast follows him and I've seen he's a very good uh, hide and seeker. Yes, he lets his favorite game. He loves to find a new hiding place he doesn't come out during the day he only comes out at night and it's funny because we'll hear him kind of come out go in the litter box play with a toy Hmm. and then find a new hiding spot okay cats find a way he's almost like those uh those monsters from i am legend where he hides during the day you don't know where he is and then at night he comes out and you and then you need to hide that's kind of how it sounds did we see that together in theaters i think we did we did yeah we did i like that movie it's a good one i was gonna say i remember liking the movie a lot uh, there's Shrek references. Do you remember that? How he he sings like the Shrek songs. He he knows like the. I think that he finds a little girl. We're spoiling I Am Legend, by the way. That's um, it's, it's 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 been 14 years. If you haven't yeah, seen we, it, I think we saw that movie in grade nine or ten. Um, yeah, but no, he. I think he brings like a little girl back to his apartment, and she's watching Shrek, and he knows the entire movie line by line. Yes, that's what it is. Yeah. 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 It would have been funny if that was Eddie Murphy instead of Will Smith, and he was mouthing it. That would have been. <laughs> that would have been. But Eddie Murphy was never like an action hero. What are you you talking about? He had Showtime. That was kind of an action movie with Robert De Niro. That was a good one. He had Haunted Mansion, Neil. Come on. Oh, yes. I saw that in theaters, too. (laughs) My parents took me to see that in theaters. I can't believe some of the things my parents took me to see. Like if I if if that were my kid, I, I wouldn't have done that. So that movie was bad. I remember even back then not liking it that much. Like, I'm sure I laughed at like two things. But even back then, I remember thinking that movie was weird. So yeah, that's pretty cool. I beat The Last of Us 2 this week. I'm not going to spoil any part of it or anything like that. Just going to say I really thoroughly enjoyed it. It's my game of the year and people need to calm down. I still haven't heard a good example on why the game is bad. 
So, I mean, I think it's just one of those things. We're not going to get into it. It's this is the GameCube podcast. This is not the Naughty Dog podcast. Although I could, I mean, I could fill a book with all the reasons I think Naughty Dog sucks. But uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sure the game itself is fantastic, just like the original one was fantastic. And Naughty Dog puts out fantastic titles um, when they, when they eventually put them out. <laughs> Yeah, a bit of a big dev cycle. If you can separate your, you know, the art from the artist in this case, uh, I think there's, I mean, the, the the quality of the game is not the problem. Like it's, it doesn't, I had no technical issues. The characters all look fine. The acting's fantastic in my opinion. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the, the story behind Naughty Dog is a completely different, uh, you should be able to separate that from the game. I get that sometimes you can't do that. I agree. Like if one of my favorite bands turned out to be complete Nazis, I'd probably stop <laughs> listening to them. Uh, <laughs> Um, but with this game, I, 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 I kind of closed myself off from spoilers, which I typically do with movies, film, stuff like that. Like I said, I was waiting for the shoe to drop and for the game to get bad, which I was told it would about two thirds of the way in. And I, I was waiting and I was waiting and it's about a 25 hour game. And I was, I was thoroughly in, invested in the story and the characters all the way through. That's good. That's great. And yeah. I'm, I'm extremely happy for you on that front. I will be playing last of us two very shortly. And I'm very excited to uh, go through that. How Yeah, how long did that take you? Like two weeks? I didn't play it every night. I played it maybe an hour or two a day. And yeah, it took me two to three weeks. So yeah, it's about, I've heard it's 25 to 30 hours. That's fine. That's a good length. That's that's what games should be. It's a little bit longer than the first one. I think the first one was just under 20. So this one's got a little bit more. Uh, well, the first beaten. 10 hours of it were uh, loading times. So that's true. That, that Oh, that's the thing about Last of Us 2. There's like no loading times. When you die, it's like... 10 seconds at most to reload the level at most i think it was five but yeah that was like there's no load times the game is a little bit long i would say like it probably could have ended a lot earlier than it did but when you're paying in canada uh what is it 80 bucks for a game i guess it makes sense to have as much uh packed in there as humanly possible Mm -hmm. yeah that's what my my friend uh matt told me too with the loading times are are far better than last of us one because that was my biggest complaint with last of us one that some of the loading times especially like to boot the game up you'd be waiting like seven minutes sometimes which is that's i know seven minutes just saying that doesn't seem like a lot but that's a long time yeah (laughs) i remember yeah i remember that too because on ps3 it wasn't like ps4 where you can just turn on the console and restart wherever you were you had to wait for the games to load every time you played them yes yeah yeah which, that, that was the thing too that, that that is fair i did play it on ps3 so me too it's hard to go back to that now actually like you forget um especially with the ps3 generation where load times were bad not as bad going back to these gamecube games where the load times are for the most part pretty manageable uh it is hard to go back though there's barely any load on these games like we talked about in hit and run last week there's yep. Uh, that's, I think it's really impressive to do. Like people would argue that it's like, oh, well, you know, now the games are so massive. There's so much stuff to cover. There's so much rendering that needs to be done that the load times have to be long. But I would argue that the amount of the storage space that you had mm-hmm. and the, the computing power that you had on these consoles, especially on the GameCube, like, I know they, they made nothing. it work. Yeah. I did want to do a couple small call outs want to call out uh, some people from Australia who've been listening to this podcast. Thank you so much for the support. It's been great. Can't believe we're getting all the way to Australia. Pretty it's cool, weird Neil. because they have to listen to the podcast backwards in Australia. So I don't know how they understand us. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> I, I think so. I've never been. Um, but no, thank you to the Australian listeners. There's a few in Europe too. I have no idea how this podcast, even the States, where almost half of our downloads are from the States. I don't know anybody in the States. So hello. Kirsten. 
Oh, Kirsten's back in this. That was only yesterday, though, so she doesn't count. <laughs> Kirsten crossed the border. She made it through. She's, uh, I, I don't know if, I'm not going to say exactly where she lives, but she is back in the States. Uh, so now we can start getting more downloads from our neighbors to the south. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much to all of our Instagram followers. Uh, we just passed 100 followers there, too. I think we're at 104 now. So yeah, that's, pretty, yeah. that's pretty cool. Really happy that everyone's been supporting the podcast. And congratulations to Avi Pereira for getting engaged. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, good job. We go back to it with Avi all the way back to what, like for me, probably grade two or three. Wow, I didn't know that actually. Yeah, I've known him a long time and super nice guy. Yeah, he's a great uh, supporter of the podcast. So, you know, he's that. a liker. He's, he likes many a thing. Um, I remember him being a huge Blink-182 fan back in the day. I hope that's still true. <laughs> so anyway, uh, welcome to the GameCube was cool podcast, the podcast hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert, as you already probably heard in our intro made by Victor. Uh, every week, Mike and I sit down and we talk about a few GameCube games from the past or one major GameCube game from the past. Uh, the goal of this show is to cover all 555 North American releases, um, read the back of the case, discuss our memories of the games, maybe if the games hold up at all. This week is all about uh, Dreamcast games and Sonic games. So these are games that were on the Dreamcast or were going to be on the Dreamcast. But since that console was basically the Wii U of the 90s, it was very short-lived, and uh, unfortunately, Sega, that was their last home console, and this is when they transitioned into the third-party developer, as we know them today. So there's obviously a lot to unpack in this episode. We're going to be talking about the Dreamcast itself. We're going to be talking about the Dreamcast ports, similar to, as like Neil said, it was basically like the Wii U games that went to Switch. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of got the deluxe edition, such as uh, Sonic Adventure DX, as well as Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. But what I really want to touch on and start with is the Dreamcast itself. Man, what a what a beautiful console. Yeah, uh, I've had a great week this week just just studying this console. Um, I agree. I think if, if we were to do this show again, we'd probably cover the Dreamcast. <laughs> I love this thing. Like, it's so interesting. Yeah. There's so much history. And I mean, OK, so let's just start from the beginning. The Dreamcast came out on September 9th, 1999. So 9999 for 199 USD. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Uh, the 999. Yeah, it was a huge marketing thing back then. Um, and 999 was not released for it. That would be awesome if it was. That, that That's a fantastic game. No, those types of games weren't really that <laughs> no, big no, yet, no, uh, no. in the 90s. It's still a fairly <laughs> new concept. But so this is technically in that sixth generation of consoles that we're talking about with GameCube, PS2, Xbox. Technically, the Dreamcast should be in the conversation as well. So would that cons- be the first sixth generation console, I guess? It was. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. It came out about a year before the PS2 and the GameCube, or two years almost before the GameCube. But yeah, this is the last console of Sega's 18-year run in the home console space. It only had about a two-year life cycle. Uh, it was discontinued on March 31st, 2001. So not even two years. No. Yeah. Like one and a half years. Yeah. But uh, actually, what's kind of interesting is that games are still released for this thing. Really? Yeah. Like most recently, the, I don't know the exact date, but the latest games came out this year. <laughs> what? What games? <laughs> uh, called Hydra Castle Labyrinth and another one called Xenocrisis. Okay. So, so far... So far, this console's had more games than the Wii U has in 2020. Um, it, I mean, it connects to the internet. So if people mm-hmm. can develop games for it, which there's a huge homebrew market behind it. Um, oh, I can believe it. Yeah. So, but I mean, it, if you want to try and find one in the wild, they only sold 9.13 million of them. So they're not that hard to find though. Uh, and they're not expensive. So 
it's actually a pretty decent time to jump into collecting for the Dreamcast, which I think I might do once uh, once yeah once we can get out there again and start looking for games and consoles. I think they're one of the the ones that would be good to start investing in now because I mm-hmm. the price of Dreamcasts in the future will only go up in, in my my opinion because there's no Dreamcast Classic coming out anytime soon. No, no, I'm sure Sega has tried, but they don't even release like Dreamcast compilation discs like they do with the Genesis. They don't care about it, right? Because no. in their mind, there's no nostalgia around this console. The nostalgia is around the Genesis, which they're correct with. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking to some of our friends yesterday, and they made the good point where the Dreamcast, I think, missed a, a couple generations. It missed the generation before us, and it missed our generation because of a the games and consoles that were already out and b people our age or around our age we don't really associate with sega very much in terms of the genesis and in terms of games like that or uh, consoles like that that's it doesn't appeal to us like an n64 or something like that would right the genesis was more uh, with the super nintendo that yeah. was uh that was their thing so if we were born maybe five years earlier in the late 80s we might have a little bit more affinity with uh with sega mm-hmm. i don't know too many people that are Sega kids. Um, I know people that are Sonic fans, but they they played Sonic on PS2 and GameCube. Exactly. Yeah. Because that's, of these that's ports. The thing. Yeah. Yeah. You can't talk about the Dreamcast without saying just how ahead of its time it was. Mm-hmm. And I I would love to I would love to take over here and just go uh, uh, nuts on the on the tech stuff. Yeah. So for me, the graphics first of all, first and foremost, the graphic capability of this console is just uh, amazing. Uh, especially when you look at something like Shenmue, looking at the textures that are on this game that came out in 1999, correct? Yep. Wow. Okay. December 29th, 1999. Yeah. And so like looking at the gameplay for that, looking at the beautiful textures on that game, it looks like it was made in maybe 2006, 2007. Yeah. I was I was looking at gameplay of uh, the first Soul Calibur uh, is a launch game on the Dreamcast. So September okay. 9th. And uh, it looks as good, if not better, than Soul Calibur 2 on GameCube. Oh, oh, it looks way better than Soul Calibur 2 on GameCube, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, the Dreamcast's capabilities graphically were miles ahead of the t- of its time. And it's mm-hmm. pretty amazing to just watch some of this gameplay. And at first you think it's like, oh, did someone like up-res this? But no, it's that's the actual, like, that's the capture of it. That's what it looks like. Yeah, uh, it's uh, yeah. The graphics cards. I don't know what they were using exactly, or what compares how it compares to the Xbox, PS2, and GameCube. I, I guess it's more powerful. I know that it they is, were, yeah, they, yeah. They they were just put under by the the rumors of the PS2 coming out. Unfortunately, like yes. PS2 was going to be a DVD player. The Dreamcast doesn't play DVDs, which is a shame. The Dreamcast just didn't get third party support almost at all no Uh, it's sort of like a wii u situation again we're going to compare this to the wii u a lot uh but the wii u ended up being a a first party only machine you'd play mario and zelda on it uh you didn't get any sports games or anything like that so it's a similar story with the with the dreamcast uh third parties went over to sony and microsoft yeah and nintendo with their games i think that the huge thing to talk about too in terms of ahead of its time was the online capabilities out of the box the first ever console to have an out of the box online capability you could do it with the n64 there was the the network adapter that you could buy but like no one did that and none of the most of the games didn't even support it so with the dreamcast all the games that they had supported it right out of the box. It, it was seamless in that sense. And uh, a big thing, too, to talk about is this idea of arcade perfect ports. 
So the Dreamcast and well, I should say Sega spent a lot of time and money actually perfecting their ports uh, that they would bring over to the Dreamcast from their own arcade systems, which is where they actually got the majority of their money. And this is something that we really haven't seen before or since. Well, no, I mean, I mean, who who wants to like arcades aren't a thing anymore. So in the 90s, it made sense. You wanted to get that arcade experience at home. That's why games like Pac-Man did insanely well when they came to home consoles. But now, like you don't play Fortnite at Palladium <laughs> yeah, and then point. get a, and then get a port of it at home. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's why this was the end of that that era mm-hmm. of gaming. I'd also like to talk about the VMU, which is the visual memory unit. And now for those who me- remember the very weird looking Dreamcast controller. It had a little screen inside the controller. Again, very ahead of its time to have like a screen in your controller that you could- Much like the Wii U. (laughs) Much like the Wii U. Uh, Except this screen you could take out and you could actually use it to store your files here. Uh, And you can also play little mini games on it. Like on Sonic Adventure 2, it let you play some mini games on the second screen. So it was kind of almost like a precursor to the DS in terms of the second screen like that. But also- a precursor to the idea of cloud storage and the idea of moving your storage to different devices seamlessly. Yeah, you could take your game save over to a friend's house, right, and pick it up and, mm-hmm. and continue on. I guess I guess you could kind of do that with, with GameCube with memory cards, but it's not nearly as advanced. The GameCube wasn't, at least. No. This is, yeah. It's... This is really the first time that we've ever seen the idea of ubiquitous computing. Mm-hmm. Apple is the, the perfect example of ubiquitous computing. So your, uh... your, your, your iMac your MacBook, your iPad, and your iPhone all work together seamlessly, right? The idea that the visual memory unit was, you know, a part of the Dreamcast, that you could, it was, you know, seamless in that sense that they worked together. I was going to say the the NES and the SNES did have the Game Boy Player um, and the Game Boy Advance adapter as well on the GameCube. But they're not the same in that sense. No, yeah. no. Like there were games on the GameCube, especially where you could connect your Game Boy Advance and play along kind of. Um, there's a few examples of that, like Pac-Man, uh, Zelda, Four Swords Adventures. I think there's also a Sonic game in this episode that we're going to talk about that uses it, but it's not the same as, uh, as what you're talking about with cloud saving and ubiquitous play. It's, it's kind of like a, an add on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's so cool to, for this to come out, you know, years before Apple did this and obviously years before the switch, which is really what the switch is now, the idea that you can take you know, uh, you can be playing on your TV and you can take it somewhere and just go with it. That's right. pretty amazing Like the, to have that technology back then. Yeah, and the Dreamcast was almost, going back to 1999, was almost better than the Switch because right out of the box you had that online capability, with which the Switch didn't have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good it, point. It took about eight months until the online service was out. It was in the fall. Okay. Uh, that the, Yeah, it came out October 2017. But still, like you couldn't play in in 2017, you couldn't play a game online on your Switch until eight months after the system came out. There was no online service, which the Dreamcast eventually had. You could pay mm-hmm. for a, a Sega online service. It was like 20 bucks a month or something like that. And some of these servers are still up too, like the Fantasy Star Online, which is arguably the most popular game in terms of online play for the Dreamcast. This game, you can still play this game online. And was there voice chat on the Dreamcast? I, I, I didn't look that up before. Like, could you connect microphones? Uh, I don't think there was voice shot online, but there was, uh, you could connect a microphone and, <laughs> and uh, talk. You the, can't do that with the Switch. <laughs> as we know from the very infamous game, Seaman. Yes. 
Fantastic. That kind of actually transitions. Uh, do you do you have any more of the uh, tech stuff you wanted to cover on that? Uh, the oh yeah, uh, there's a couple just small things. I just want to say them. It had a dedicated GPU, like an actual graphics uh, card. Uh, that was uh, only computers did that. Consoles aren't computers. Right. That that's the thing, right? Dreamcast changed that idea. And now that's what people want. Like they exactly. want their their PlayStations and Xboxes to be more like PCs than these single units that you buy once and then forget about for five to ten years. It's the first console to have a home screen dashboard. Going off that idea, uh, in terms hmm. of just having almost like a computing machine. Yeah. Before this, you if if you didn't have a game in your game console, there was nothing you were doing with that. Exactly. Uh, you couldn't do anything. Like if your GameCube didn't have a game, you might be able to change the date <laughs> in the internal system, but that's about it. It's the first console to be uh, playable at 60 hertz. Uh, that was uh, way ahead of its time for that. You know, 30 was the standard, so 60 right. is, uh, and you know, that's basically what most monitors nowadays are are 60 hertz. Uh, professional gamers like to play at 120, but uh, 60 is the standard, kind of the standard today, which is crazy to think about. Wow. Uh, yeah. Fully analog triggers, the first time any uh, controller had ever had that. GameCube uh, famously adopted this shortly after. Yep, they perfected it. It had the dream eye that was made for it, which detected motion. Uh, it was never really put into a circulation, but they did make motion controls before the Wii, which is very cool. I was going to say the PlayStation 2 eye. They had that as well, yes, which was did. actually a pretty big deal. And then the last thing I have is just the idea of the actual Dreamcast itself. It was the first console to ever have a AC adapter that was not proprietary. Uh, and what I mean by that is that the actual adapter itself, you could buy that AC adapter anywhere, just like how PS3 and PS4 power uh, the plugs. They're just standard plugs, right? There's nothing special about them. They, they're those like two little, Got it. Uh, you know, holes that go into the back of the PS4. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can picture it. And you can you can buy those power cables anywhere, right? Uh, but before that, if you think you know of all the consoles that you've ever had, they were all these like weird power cables that only those ones had. And if you didn't have that, then you were screwed. So, yeah. Okay. Um. Well, like, yeah. I think, like I said at the at the beginning of this, this is one of the more interesting consoles uh, to me. And I think that if we were to do this type of project again, it would probably cover the Dreamcast. <laughs> um. I, I just like I like to cover the business side of a lot of these things. So I'm just gonna quickly summarize what I have if we have time. So, uh, the Dreamcast did have uh, many a hits, which, as we're going to talk about later, made it over to GameCube. But the highest selling games were games like Crazy Taxi, which we've already covered, Jet Set Radio, which is like a cult classic at this point. We already talked about Shenmue, as well as many of Sega's games that were in the arcade, which they then ported to Dreamcast. The best selling game on the hardware was Sonic Adventure. Uh, it sold 2.5 million units, which is pretty decent. That's, uh, what is that, like a 25% attach rate? At least, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty decent. Uh, this this console, unfortunately, it um, it had to follow one of the worst Sega consoles ever, which was the Sega Saturn. Uh, marketed terribly, um, didn't have any support. Uh, they, they quickly rushed it out to market uh, following the Genesis, the 32X attachments and things like that. So I think the Saturn only had about a two-year life cycle as well. That was another thing, and I'm sure you're going to mention it very soon, if not right now. Uh, the fact that Sega US or Sega of America and Sega of Japan were on completely different pages with everything. And even like their naming for a lot of these consoles was was different. Yeah, no, Sega of America and Sega of Japan were definitely butting heads in the mid 90s following the Genesis. Uh, the, the best part of Sega was Sega US marketing the Genesis. Uh, there's a ton of history in this in the, the novel, the book uh, Console Wars by Blake Harris. 
I highly recommend if you're interested in video games and you like reading, that's the number one book I recommend, especially if you love the 90s console wars between the Super Nintendo and the Genesis. It's told by Sega's perspective, though, which is not a perspective we normally get to hear about. That's what makes it really interesting, though. And sad. You, You actually feel bad for Sega by the time it's over. Incompetent people who end up, you know, fighting each other and they don't produce the best product, which is always sad. Yeah. And, and, and just marketing, like marketing video games back then, it sounded like so much fun. <laughs> it, it would have been awesome. But yeah, they unfortunately, they had the, um, the flame taken out of them with this, with this console. Unfortunately, I think that a Sega of America could have done great things if they had control right away. Eventually, Sega of Japan gave them control of a lot of the decisions for the console, but it was too late. Yes. Yeah, I, I read about that as well. Yeah. Um, oh, I see that uh, uh, our good friend Zaffer has just joined the show. Zaffer, how are you? Hello. How are you guys? I'm doing great. Oh, we're, we're doing well. We're just talking about our favorite, second favorite console, uh, Dreamcast. <laughs> I grew up on the Dreamcast. Good time. Good you grew up on the Dreamcast and Luigi's Mansion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> of course, everyone will remember Zaffer was uh, joined us on our very first episode, uh, Luigi's Mansion. Well, no, that's our second. Or is that episode. our second episode? Yeah. Oh, sorry, second episode. Whatever. <laughs> this is only episode. We didn't even say which episode this episode is. Episode ten. Yeah. Episode ten. It's good to be back. I, I'm surprised that. Uh, so I heard that you got poached by IGN, Zaffer, but I see that you're back now. You. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how to respond to that classified information. <laughs> oh, 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 I wasn't supposed to say that on air. Off the record, nope. off the record, Mike. Zaffer's lawyer is calling us now. Oh, that's um, who just called me. That That's the missed call you're going to have now. Yeah. But Zaffer's also a huge uh, Sonic fan, which is a huge issue with me, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> I got lots of unnecessary information. <sighs> so what... So you said that you did grow up in the Dreamcast. So and we yes. were just talking about how the Dreamcast seemed to miss, you know, kind of both our generation and the generation before us. But I do I do know that obviously people played this console at some point. So mm-hmm. what are your first kind of memories of this console? It was a really weird, like, I mean, obviously, as a kid, you don't have too much of a grasp on what's going on in the first place. But I did have a fair mm-hmm. share of friends who had it. I don't know. I guess it was really convenient. I knew at least like three people around my age group who had it. So wow. every time I would visit their houses, we'd play it. I'd play, uh, you know, Sonic obviously was one of them. But there were some Mega Man games as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some miscellaneous games like like uh, Unreal Shooters, etc. Yeah, you're a huge fan of Jet Set Radio too, right? Like that type Yes, of, yeah. yes. That's a, I, Of all the things to mention, I don't know why I forgot that. Yes, that was, that's the first thing I think of actually <laughs> when I think of Dreamcast. My favorite series to this day. Yeah, like every time I ever, I remember like back when Splatoon came out or anything like that. Like you're like, this is like Jet Set Radio. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the aesthetic. The aesthetic, yeah. yeah, was definitely reminiscent. All right, so I guess we'll kick off with the first game on our list. Uh, Sonic Adventure 2 Battle yes. was, <laughs> released on, was released on February 11th, 2002. This is a port of Sonic Adventure 2 on the Dreamcast from June 23rd, 2001. So it was also released on Xbox 360, PS3, Windows. Um, it's relatively well received. It, re- it got eights and nines for the most part. It sold really well on GameCube, 1.44 million units. Mm-hmm. So more than the Dreamcast sold. Oh, that's kind of interesting. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, 1.2 million on Dreamcast. 
Yeah, I've actually played this game. This is one of two games that I've uh, Sonic games that I can remember playing. The, the two Sonic ever. Because <laughs> <laughs> I pl- I played Sonic Heroes, of course, and because uh, that was for GameCube, and I I own that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sonic Adventure Two Battle. If I remember correctly, I, I might be wrong, but that game's demo was on the Double Dash demo disc. Yep, and we played it. If we played it a couple months ago, <laughs> so I've I I haven't played the full game, but I have played that demo many many times. <laughs> I tried it. I couldn't get. It. I couldn't. I, I I can't get into Sonic at all. I try. What was featured on that demo? I'm so curious. There's some interesting ones on there. I'm trying to think. I don't remember, but yeah, it was this weird demo disc that came with uh, Mario Kart for whatever reason. <laughs> the good old days when you needed a demo disc. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, so yeah, Zaffer, tell us tell us about Sonic Adventure Battle 2. Well, I think it's really interesting looking back on it that Sega really tried to take this modern approach to Sonic. I mean, it didn't start with Adventure 2. It started with the first adventure, but it was a continuing upward trend ever since the first adventure. Like, if you look at the first adventure, the, the game starts with Sonic chasing a bunch of police cars. Like, up until this point, this whole series has been about him in Green Hill Zone and all these other wacky cartoony areas. And then all of a sudden, with the Adventure series, they basically reimagine Sonic. Like he's not that little short hedgehog. He's this almost teenage uh surfer persona who's like, Yeah, I wanna party, let's do all the fun things. And he's just like he's like, Yeah, police cars, I'm on this. And I'm like, what the heck? And that that also transitions into two, because that begins with Sonic inside of a a private military helicopter because he's been labeled as a criminal. And, you know, you're a kid. You don't really think too much about this. You're just like, all right, he's in that. And then he jumps off. Yeah. And he's like, yo, I'm out of here. This this place sucks. And he, he literally dive bombs off the helicopter into the city. <laughs> like, like, he's a wow. party animal. So they were, they were really, I can see that Sega was trying to establish a character and a, and a bigger story. Now, do you think this was influenced at all by kind of the games such as Grand Theft Auto starting to come out and the kind of the extreme sports uh, games and the X games kind of like uh, culture that was really emerging at that time in the late 90s, early 2000s. Like, do you think that like that kind of Sonic character was influenced by that? Wow. You know, I never consider that, but it certainly could be a possibility because Sonic as a, as a, as a character was really bland. Like you didn't know what he <laughs> was, you didn't know. And I remember, I remember, reading a while ago that Sega was trying to incorporate a more exciting version of Sonic. Like they wanted to make something that stood out to people like as a character. So I could see them influencing, taking influence from real life aspects to make it more relatable. First of all, Sonic mm-hmm. was always as a character, they, they tried to be different than Mario, uh, even on Genesis when he first came out, like Mario was this kind of very fun, very G rated plumber guy. He's always happy. Nothing, very, no <laughs> attitude at all. Sonic was supposed to be the opposite. He's supposed to be fast, supposed to be a bit snappy and, and um, witty and everything. Like he would have, like if you didn't touch the controller for a while, his, his foot would tap and kind of make it look like he wanted you to hurry up and things like that. So he yep. had a little bit more attitude. Oh, that is true. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfair to me to say that he had no personality. That is, that is wrong. Like he didn't have dialogue. <laughs> But his action spoke. Yeah, yeah they had to make him spoke. have attitude without having any voice. And this generation with yeah. the Dreamcast, now the GameCube, they could give him a voice and more personality with a voice actor, which 
the voice acting in Sonic games, take it or leave it. I don't know. They're not great in my. <laughs> They're not the best. Yeah, you're not coming to a Sonic game for the voice acting. Let's just say that. No, it's very <laughs> cheesy. But at least they could finally give him that. Yeah, that early two thousands, very like Dennis the Menacey kind of vibe. Yeah. Uh, one thing I, I want to say about this game that stands out to me is the soundtrack. I absolutely mm. love the music in this game. Yes, <laughs> it's great. It's, it's really like good. ska, pop punk, melodic rock, <laughs> and like really cheesy bad lyrics. Like this is my type of music. I love it. Yeah. Again, that started in the first adventure, mm-hmm. and that, that seemed mm-hmm. to be the continuing trend. Because even Sonic Heroes was was very much like that yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the music is really good. It suits the style of the game. It's very fun and bright and colorful and and futuristic-y. It's it's definitely again another aspect of the modern approach. They're trying to they were really trying to modernize Sonic and make him relatable and basically like we're out of the fantasy. Here's real life, but here's still a little bit of fantasy because obviously you don't have a real <laughs> running around you the streets. <laughs> we do in the new movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this was his transition from 2D to 3D, which every franchise kind of had that awkward phase, some less awkward than others. Like we had Mario 64 a few years before this Metroid Prime. This was kind of Sonic's turn to at least with adventure was adventure Sonic Adventure 1. Was that a 3D game or is that also a 2D game? Technically, if you want to be really technical, even before adventure, there was a 3D Sonic called Sonic 3D Blast. But to be honest, I have never touched that. That's that's on the Sega Saturn. Don't even like I have no idea. <laughs> no, it doesn't count. So, yeah, I, that, that console's in the graveyard. <laughs> yeah, th- this was them kind of figuring out how to make him fit in the 3D space instead of the 2D side scroller, which eventually they returned to with the Sonic Mania. And there's been other mm-hmm. 2D games since then on Game Boy Advance and whatnot. But Sonic Mania is really the return to form. But this this was kind of the look for Sonic for a solid, what, decade? Fifth, ten, yeah. ten years, yeah, I would say. Yeah, yeah. at least a decade yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and it's kind of interesting that this was like really the the start of it all. And I think they they did a good job with it. Like it, it definitely takes the arcade aspects of of Sonic and really pushes them to the forefront, which I like. Yeah, with all the with all the multitude of gameplay styles, it can actually be a bit overwhelming because for some people who are used to Sonic, they're like, oh, okay, I got a race, I got a you know platform. But then to battle, and again with adventure, I keep saying adventure because honestly, it just keeps building up like even in adventure you had six different playable characters and each had a varying play style and then two continues that trend because you have the typical sonic which is speed you know adrenaline and platforming and then you have for some reason they they thought hey let's have robots (laughs) (laughs) and you have eggman and Tails in their robot um, machines which is really weird but I mean, again, that's the arcade aspect. And then you have Knuckles and Rouge with their with their digging and treasure hunting. And it was so wild and different. But again, you would think, what is Sonic? And then you see all these other gameplay styles, and you could actually be pretty pretty overwhelmed mm-hmm. and confused. The, the, <laughs> it is confusing though. The we're going to talk about. I think there's four or five Sonic games in this batch. But the naming conventions of these games was very confusing. <laughs> Yeah, that I was I was about to I was actually about to bring that up. So okay. the fact that this is so this is Sonic Adventure Two, Battle. Right. Yeah. And yes. they for whatever reason they use Battle instead of Deluxe or New or whatever, because it, it technically is a different game than Sonic Adventure Two, because this came out, you know, obviously two years later, uh yeah. for the GameCube, and it's basically the deluxe version of it, just like how, you know, uh Mario Kart eight uh is different than Mario Kart eight Deluxe. 
Yeah, basically, yeah. It, it did this whole, like, hey, we're going to fix a bunch of graphics. We're going to f- reimagine some of the levels. Mm-hmm. We're going to fix um, a lot of bugs. Like, basically, yeah, you're right. It's like, because DLC didn't exist back then. Mm-hmm. So they wanted, like, a perfect version of the game. So that's what it is. But they, they call it Battle because most of the updates were focused on the multiplayer. I was going to oh, say, why would you okay. call it, if it's an upgraded version of a single-player platforming game, why would you make it Battle? Like, if I saw this on a shelf now, I would think, <laughs> oh, it's Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. They took all the characters from Sonic Adventure 2 and made uh, Smash Bros. Smash Bros. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought this Finally. was when I looked at it. <laughs> fair, yeah, fair. It's, yeah, that's, yeah fair the enough. multiplayer, it got a complete overhaul. That's why. It was a lot mm, okay. um, clunkier back then. Uh, I mean, I could go into it in so much depth, but to, to briefly summarize, basically the whole the whole multiplayer system was very skewed. You couldn't do much in the original on the Dreamcast, and I don't know why it's so random. Like you don't think of multiplayer when you think of Sonic, you know? no. But but they they use that as an advertisement because they put in the name, and it got a complete overhaul. And I'm not gonna lie, the multiplayer was amazing. So many hours I have um, just spent with other friends doing two player. Multiplayer racing, multiplayer fighting. Like it's it's ridiculous how fun it is. It seems like a really good package. Like if like what you're saying is true with mm-hmm. the you know, it's a good upres version of the single player and the multiplayer's been perfected, mm-hmm. then th- this seems like a good good first outing for Sega on the GameCube. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, so I guess I'll read the back of the case for this game. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> Battle to save the world or conquer it. Mistaken for a dark villainous hedgehog, Sonic must discover who is responsible for his troubles. Choose hero or dark. It's time to save the world or conquer it. You already said that. (laughs) (laughs) New battle mode for enhanced two-player action. Play the cute and comical... uh, Who's this? Chow Karate? Did I say that right? Cow? Yeah, yeah, Yeah? you did. All right. 30 action stages with over 150 missions. Sonic Adventure 2 Battle connects your Nintendo GameCube to your Game Boy Advance, so you can take your Chow on the go. Oh, I did not know that. Wow. This is one of those link cable games. I guess because they had stuff for the VMU with uh, Dreamcast, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and like that was the whole thing where you could take Sonic Adventure to places, so I guess they decided to do it this way for GameCube, which makes sense. Yep. But uh, oh, is this the first appearance of Shadow? I want to ask that. Yes, yes, this is his debut. This okay, is his debut. Yes, yeah, that's that's what I, I thought because I I had I saw the box art obviously and saw Shadow on there and I was like, oh, is this the first Shadow game? And it is, so that's kind of fun. Is this also the first Sonic game where we see Ike? <laughs> what? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> no, Crom is in this. Crom is in yeah, this game. Yeah, okay, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Okay. You sure it's not? You sure it's not Marth or uh, you know the other five hundred blue-haired protagonist? I'll just have to go check the Smash Bros. roster and find out. All right. So moving on to the next Sonic game here, we got us uh, another not terribly named game but also not great we got sonic adventure dx director's cut yeah okay okay that sorry i can give you right now that's the enhanced not remake but sort of remake of sonic adventure one oh. uh so this was released on june 18th 2003 uh, also developed by team sonic it's de- published by sega yeah like you said part of the sonic adventure franchise yes. with updated graphics the textures were better more detailed character models also locked in at 60 FPS, so that's pretty cool. There were uh, 60 new missions, um, and you could also unlock. This is the type of thing, the type of stuff I like on these games. Are there were 12 unlockable Sonic games? 
Yeah, I didn't realize, okay, that makes a lot more sense because when I first looked at it, for whatever reason, my mind didn't click in that this is Sonic Adventure 1. I don't know what this was. I was like, what? Yeah, the naming convention is so weird. DX Director's <laughs> Cut. Why would they make such garbled, you know, nonsense? And, and they released, they already released Sonic Adventure 2. So you're confusing yes. people by releasing one almost, what, let's see, a year and a half later. Yeah, very strange. Exactly, yeah. And when I, see, I was also... You know, in that same crowd, I played two battle. Then I just walked into, you know, a game store one day. And I'm like, oh, what is that Sonic game? I don't know what that is. And I, I just bought it blind. And I'm like, wait, this is Sonic 1? Adventure <laughs> 1, I mean? Yeah, again, this this game has, well, the original Sonic Adventure has good ratings and is critically acclaimed. It's a bit of a sloppy port that the Dreamcast version is actually the superior version. Interesting. And the, the, the camera controls didn't translate well to the GameCube controller. Hmm. Also, this box art is really bad. <laughs> yeah, it's not the greatest. I just saw Sonic and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Looks like a like like when you go to McDonald's and you get a Sonic toy, like he's kind of melting. His eyes aren't quite <laughs> his eyes aren't lined up right. His nose is off center. Like it almost looks like the first iteration of the Sonic movie Sonic that we saw. So I, I know we already talked, uh, you know, in length about Sonic Adventure 2 and you were talking about Sonic Adventure you know, it, within that, obviously, because you, you have to. But yeah. is there anything else you'd like to, I guess, mention about this game in particular? Well, Adventure 1 is really interesting because 2 takes this very action mission-based approach. Like, you just select a menu and bam, you're in a level. But 1 actually has a whole overworld, a whole a hub to explore. You get to, you, like, you literally get to walk around and, you know, cross the streets, go into buildings. It, it almost felt like an RPG, like... That's why it first was called Adventure, I'm assuming, because yeah. it really is like an adventure in, you know, these multiple areas. You get to explore, like, literal cities. You get to explore forests, jungles. Um, you get to unlock certain places by exploring them. It was very different than 2, because it was much more slower-paced and more exploratory, like, quite literally. It sounds more like mm. almost like a Mario 64, uh, but, like, Sonic-style then in that sense. The fact that I honestly, yeah, I honestly would yeah. not be surprised if that's where they got inspiration from because you know it's around the same same time mm -hmm. area. Yeah, that Mario sixty four banjo tooie kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Did this one introduce any new Sonic character? I guess no. It wouldn't be new Sonic characters because this one is technically before Sonic Adventure. Uh, yeah, but I, I, would it did Sonic Adventure itself introduce any new characters? I think it introduced Big the Cat, which is like <laughs> the biggest curse. The biggest curse I've ever seen in Sonic. <laughs> oh, he's my he's my new favorite Sonic character then. If that's what you think. <laughs> and if you want to know about jarring, Big the Cat's playstyle was literally just fishing. Like he he literally like I don't know what his story. The is. meme of the of the Sonic. Yeah, world. his whole Jar -Jar character. <laughs> his whole character is he has a pet frog, and he look he's he's looking for him. So he literally goes like throughout the entire Sonic Adventure world to find his pet frog. And he's a, and his voice acting is terrible. It's literally, it's like Froggy, who are you? You guys can't see me, but I'm squinting so hard right now to try and understand this. <laughs> and that's all he does. He will, he goes to ice caves just to find his pet frog, and you have to fish because he's trying to fish for his oh, frog in a pond. It's ridiculous. It's, it's a curse. <laughs> Gotta love those fishing mechanics in a Sonic game. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'll, I'll try and knock down the back of the case here. Total chaos. Sonic and friends return to the Nintendo GameCube in their greatest adventure of all time. Experience all the epic thrills with enhanced graphics, more action, and all new exclusive content. 
Over 30 massive levels, all new mission mode, six playable characters, awesome bonus games. And you can also connect with Sonic Pinball Party via the Nintendo GameCube Game Boy Advance cable what? for unlockable secrets in the tiny KO Garden. Yeah, I'm certain in every, well, not every, but most GameCube games, they try to push that yeah. Game Boy Advance Link um, technology. Like, I know it was in Wind Waker. Sorry if I'm getting off no, topic, no, no. but it just... It's it's really funny to note once you think about it. It it yeah, it's showing early signs of what Nintendo ultimately wanted to be, which was this all-inclusive portable gaming, home console gaming where you could connect the two, mm-hmm. which eventually we finally get with the Switch. But there was a bunch of, you know, with the DS, the DS didn't really connect with anything, but I mean, yeah, there's always been these players and cables that you could hook up to the TV, try and take on the go, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Cool. All right. So the next one I have here, net next game is uh, our first collection game is the Sonic Mega Collection. I mean... <laughs> was there we go. No released on November tenth, two thousand and two. Again, developer Team Sonic, published by Sega. This one was also released on uh, PS two and Xbox. So this one had fourteen games total, ten Sonic games and four other games, which include yeah. Flicky, Rystar, Comic Zone, and the Ooze. Uh, let, let's. Let's get out of both of these at the same time. <laughs> and then, sure, Sonic Gems Collection was released on August 16th, 2005. Same thing, Team Sonic, published by Sega. This was more of an obscure collection, okay. so I like this a little bit more. Uh, yeah. Uh, ga- games were more obscure. The the bonus videos, demos, promotional artwork, uh, more obscure. They, they really had some famous ones on the, on the Gems Collection. Sonic CD is a very... I actually surprisingly never played it, but it's one of the most like highly acclaimed Sonic games of all time um it's as old as us which is pretty uh, cool when you think huh. about it and the sonic cd you said yeah sonic cd it's the, it's where metal sonic was first ever introduced and it has oh. a whole time like future past like think of zelda where you're constantly going back and forth between the future and the past it actually had a similar uh, plot regarding that so i don't know i guess people like that it sounds interesting cool. yeah yeah this collection had games from uh genesis saturn game gear and even the the arcade so i guess this yeah. was like the first time you could play them at home yeah, that's Streets of Rage. So random to think about it, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it had Bonanza Bros and Streets of Rage 1 and 3. Those were cut from the North American release <laughs> to avoid the, the, the T rating from the ESRB. <laughs> yeah, what's Banana? What's, what was that? I have never heard of this. Bonanza yeah. Bros? I don't, I, I dude, never. I don't know. I don't have a Genesis. <laughs> I'm looking up some pictures right now. This looks hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 97% like this video game. I don't know. That's <laughs> I mean, that, that could be four people. But um, it's a shooter platform game. This looks like that stage in uh, Smash Bros. where it's the it's all the the f- different floors you have to go on. Yeah, but these are two two packaged collections of of Sonic games just to get the games out again on Gen yeah. on, yeah. on the GameCube. I I honestly think. This was really good because from my perspective, I, I started with 3D Sonic mm-hmm. and like to be very brief in the fan base, although I'm pretty sure you know this, there's been a whole divide between 3D and 2D Sonic. I mean, that's why that's why uh, Sonic Generations and Sonic Mania were, were made to kind of appease to both fan bases. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I grew up with the 3D Sonic, but then Sonic Mega Collection is, is on GameCube and I'm like, oh, more Sonic. I guess I'll play it because, you know, I'm just a kid, right? And it introduced me to Sonic, like, you know, literally the first Sonic the Hedgehog, and Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Sonic the Hedgehog 3, like, all these all these very literal, like, beginning Sonic games on the Genesis. And 
I, I, the GameCube has a lot of those collections from other series too, where they have like a bunch of older games from the previous consoles, and then they just make a compilation on the GameCube. So this is really good for newer fans like myself who didn't ever grow up with the Genesis, because you know I was too young, obviously. Right. And it got me into the 2D Sonic. So, like, I guess yeah. from a, a Sonic fan base perspective, it was very educational. <laughs> sure. No, it's a, it's a fantastic deal. Like, you can get 12 to 14 games, not all Sonic games. Sometimes you might get Bonanza Bros. But you can get, the, you can get those games in one package for 20 or 30 bucks. It's a fantastic deal, especially for parents looking for something to get their kids as a gift. Like, hey, my kid loved Sonic Adventure DX or whatever. Let's get him this new Sonic game for it's a budget title. So that's fantastic. I really wish that like companies like Nintendo would do more of this these days where they mm-hmm. would release like 10 to 12 Mario games from back in the day for 20 bucks on a cartridge. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. When I when I see this collection and I look at its library, I'm actually thinking this is a this is a gold mine. Mm-hmm. Like when you compare it to today's standards of how Nintendo releases their older games, this is terrible. Like an actual like gold mine of Sonic games. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's like it's. I'm really glad that like there's so many games that got released for that in that sense. And uh, yeah, Nintendo doesn't really do that anymore. Like Neil said, we will have a legacy uh, collection episode that we'll be talking about at some point where we have things like the Namco Museum, Midway Arcade Treasures, uh, Int- Mega Man, yeah, Television yeah. Live, which I'm excited to talk about yeah. that one. I wish, yeah, like you said, I wish more of this happened. It does still happen from time to time. Like they do the Mega Man collections still. Yeah, yeah. yeah those are good. Big they, fan they, of those. They just recently did Castlevania, a few Castlevania collections, yep. but it's few and far between what it used to be. Something like this is probably worth quite a bit of money if you go to any, you know, classic gaming store you know how path of ratings is 100 something dollars i wouldn't be surprised if something like this was in, in the yeah I, I was gonna ask neil what these collections uh went for if you had those numbers i do they're not super expensive actually the sonic mega collection will go about 20 bucks on ebay oh really that little the sonic gems collection though is a little bit more it's uh 50 to 60 bucks okay yeah <laughs> yeah okay that's what i was ex- that makes yeah. sense just yeah, just because it one. has a cd on it yeah i think so it's it's, it's just it's just more of an obscure collection of games um than the uh, sonic mega collection all right next up last sonic game on this list i believe is sonic riders i have also engaged in that (laughs) (laughs) good that's why you're here sonic was released on february 21st 2006 developed by sonic team published by sega uh, this is a racing game, which I should like, but I'm pretty sure I hate it. I've played it once. Uh, it's hoverboard racing, so it's yeah. like Back to the Future kind of thing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a late, late release also. 2006? Yeah. Yep. I think it was also ported to Wii. Mm. But uh, one one sad thing about this game is that this was the last Sonic game involving Yuji Naka, who is the uh, creator of Sonic. He developed the first Sonic game in 1991, so he's been with the franchise for 15 years. Mm. He started working for Sega in 1984, but this was kind of his last game to to kind of be involved in with Sonic. Interesting. Yeah. And there's two sequels to this game, which I think were both on Wii, Sonic Riders Zero Gravity and Sonic Free Riders. Yeah, yeah. I've played Zero Gravity, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Like Again, like I said, this game should be right up my alley, but I have a feeling I would hate it, (laughs) the whole franchise. But... uh, (laughs) It sold fairly well, actually. It it got like almost a million copies, so not bad yeah, for for that a late GameCube release. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm sure. No, honestly, I think you would like it because like you know how. Although actually, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of people legitimately enjoy Sonic's 
Sonic's uh, racing games. Um, yeah. Like, you know how they use carts or like yeah. literal cars? I don't know what it's called. I forget. Yeah. Um, Go karts. <laughs> sure. Yeah. There's there's a there's a Sonic racing game that's modern, but getting back yeah, to the Sonic, point, Sonic, Sonic Riders, Team Racing, I think it's called the newest one on Switch. I yeah. played that one. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, it its roots are surprisingly well developed. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it it didn't get critically very well received. It looks like it got mostly fives and sixes, which, again, those oh, are reviewers' opinions. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm sure it's beloved in the Sonic community. It's not a very rare game. It's only about 30 bucks on eBay. So it's like none of these games are super pricey. No. So you played this specific game then, uh, Zaffer? Yeah, I mean, I will admit, you know, because I was a kid, my standards were almost non-existent. Sure, yeah. But I thought, I thought it was really fun. You know, it's it's basically Mario Kart, but instead of carts, you're hoverboarding with Sonic. And, you know, again, Sonic is always trying to be, like, hip and cool <laughs> and, um, and modern. So he's literally advertised on the board with like, with, like, shades and goggles. And he's like, yeah, I'm so cool. Look at me. And I'm on a hoverboard. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I ate that stuff up as a kid. So, oh, you know, of course. the marketing was well done. All right. Well, I mean, maybe one day I'll check it out. If you have it, I'll borrow it. I'm not buying it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to dig through my library. Yeah. Good. To, good. Sounds good to me. All right. Uh, let me just take uh, the back of the case here for you and uh, we'll move on to the next game. Sonic takes on Dr. Eggman's call for the fastest air rider at the World Grand Prix. Complete. Yeah. Compete against new rivals, the Babylon rogues, as you pull off insane tricks and catch massive air. Think you got what it takes? No. Try to keep up. <laughs> I don't know what it takes. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do we know what playable characters, what racers there are in uh, Sonic Riders? I mean, I'm curious. All all Sonic. I remember is that Sonic Riders introduced another OC. Gotta love those Sonic OCs. Um, <laughs> it was a hawk. I think his name was Jet. Oh, yes. Jet. Okay. Yeah. Jet the hawk. He's, he's green. He's a green yes. hawk. Yeah. 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 I know Jet. Yeah, I know him That's... from the Sonic uh, Olympic uh, series. Yes, yes. So this is this was his debut game. Oh, okay. That's kind of fun. He looks like a Pokemon starter. He does look like a Pokemon <laughs> starter. <laughs> Uh, well, that's uh, that's all we have for Sonic today, but we're going to move on to a couple of Dreamcast games right now, and we're going to keep Zaffer on for one more Dreamcast game here before he uh, uh, gets kicked off. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be Billy Hatcher and the Giant Egg, which is a cult classic and fan favorite among uh, Sega people. Yeah, this game looks pretty sweet. Uh, Billy Hatcher and the Giant Egg released September 23rd, 2003. This is the Sonic team developers and published by Sega, of course. As I said before, Yuji Naka left the Sonic team, but this is the game that he created next. So, oh. yeah, this is from the mind that gave us Sonic. Uh, it, it was, like you said, going to be a Dreamcast game, but obviously things happened. So it ended up being a GameCube game. Uh, th they were hoping to make this a new thing, like the next Sonic, but it's like just because it was so family friendly and fun. It's a very cutesy game, uh, platformer, but it, it didn't sell very well. It only sold actually half a, sorry, quarter of a million copies. Yeah. Um, so the sequel was unfortunately canceled, but yeah, this game has a huge cult following. Um, it's really expensive on eBay. It's about a hundred bucks. Wow. Yeah. Zaffer, did you play this game back in the day? I, I played very little, but I know why there's a big crowd for it. Because if you look at it, you, you really get these Banjo-Kazooie Donkey Kong Country 64 vibes. Yep. Yes. Like it is, it is such a, it looks like such a, like cartoony adventure that, that would appeal to anyone or any kid. Because it's so wholesome, honestly. Mm. There's no other word to describe it. It's just so cute looking. Banjo was the first thing I thought of when I, when I first yes, saw yes. the gameplay of this. Exactly. I remembered seeing it in my childhood. I don't know where, but I remember seeing it and probably playing it at some point. 
and uh, it probably McDonald's. <laughs> uh, but it's yeah, it's always one of those games that you hear about. Yep. Oh, you know what I th- I wanted to talk about? It's just the, the name itself. <laughs> the name is so weird. <laughs> Billy yeah, Hatcher and the Giant Egg. Like so, literally, he's hatching. Like <laughs> yeah, that, that's his name. I think is Billy Hatcher. I will admit, when I read that as a kid, that really put me off. Yes. I didn't want to imagine a little kid in a chicken suit trying to hatch <laughs> eggs. You know, I don't know what the appeal or who's that trying to appeal to, but um, very weird, I would say the least. Yeah, it, it feels very Japanese, you know, like it, it feels like this could only be made, made by like a Japanese company. <laughs> I do. Agree yeah. That. And we mean that in the best way possible. Yeah. 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 It, it's, it's a really interesting game, though, like just with the mechanic of you roll around an egg, you jump, you throw it, you slam it, it grows and eventually like characters come out to help you and, and you use them as power ups and things like that. This game had like rail sliding, uh, flying through rings, just like Sonic. Um, But I don't know. It's just like a really interesting gameplay mechanic that you don't see too much anymore. It kind of reminds me of that Katamari Damacy, a PS2 game. Yeah. Where you roll around a ball of junk to level up. It's a whole, yeah, it's a whole trip, that game. (laughs) (laughs) We'll save it for the PS2 podcast. Of course. Yeah, that'll never happen. But uh, this game has a couple of interesting Easter eggs, uh, no pun intended. Uh, nice. Certain character, yeah. Certain characters from other Sega games will come out of your egg, depending on the, I guess what you do. But like Sonic will come out as an assist, kind uh, of like an assist trophy. Oh, really? I-, I didn't know that. Yeah, Knights from Knights is in there too. Yeah, Knights is another cameo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can also connect your Game Boy Advance to the game to play uh, Poyo Pop, Choo Choo Rocket, Knights, and. Uh, all on your GBA. So Still kinda... really pushing that GBA. Uh, exactly. Uh, yeah. Good for <laughs> Sega really for doing that, though. That. I I, and I, I, oh, I mean, this must be because they had to develop all this stuff for the the VM uh, VMU. Yeah, and it's just another great way to get those legacy titles out there into the hands of players. Like like how in Animal Crossing you can play like twenty or thirty NES games. Mm-hmm. Again, this is just something I really wish more video games did. That like in a game you can play an entire other game from the past. Yeah, yeah, I, I know that's definitely one of your favorite uh, calling cards for these games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think I'm going to bring that up a lot. But, but <laughs> I, I just like that. I, I think it's cool. Yeah. Like, why not? But yeah, no, it's uh, Billy Husher, Giant Egg. It's uh, definitely a cult classic. Uh, it looks like a fun game. I wouldn't mind playing it if it wasn't $100. It it definitely feels very reminiscent of, um, like I said, Banjo-Kazooie, but also Super Mario. Because yeah. Super Mario Sunshine. Yeah, you select levels and then... Like each level has its own star, or in Sunshine's case, the Shine Sprite. You know, like right. so, it's very, very similar to that aspect of uh, getting to the goal and then doing another mission, etc. And it's interesting because even though this was released after Sunshine, it would have been developed before Sunshine. So yeah, yeah. So more yeah. of a '64 influence, I guess. Yeah, and looking at the boss fights too, I got a lot of Sunshine vibes just because, I don't know, they Mm -hmm. just reminded me of Mario bosses, how, you know, they have a very specific pattern. There's a weakness that you have to exploit and then hit them three times. It just felt like a Mario boss fight. (laughs) It's always three times, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I I, I think this franchise could have had a future uh, if it wasn't for, obviously, the the strangeness of of the the character with the chicken suit. It's just, you know, it's... I always hear the the argument for what a great character design is, right? The great character design is when someone can just, uh, a little kid can just draw them uh, immediately, mm-hmm. or they can just, a color can be associated with that, the character immediately, like right. red for Mario, blue for Sonic, right? And yeah. a, a Billy Hatcher, unfortunately, is not a great 
uh, main character here. He's not the MC that we need. No. And so I think that is one of the main reasons why this franchise is dead because there wasn't a good visualization behind it. Mm-hmm. It makes me a yeah. bit sad because I, I feel like if this was released now, it would be so much more popular. Agreed. 100% agreed. Yeah. I, I can see this game getting a remake or something or a, a port. I would actually play it. I would actually play it then. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I, I think I think that'll happen eventually, but uh, only time will tell. They tried to make Billy Hatcher a thing. He appears in other games, other Sega games like Sega Superstars, the Sonic Riders games. He's in both of those, as well as Sega All-Stars Racing. So he still has a bit of a presence in those games. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but, he's as much as Captain Falcon is in Smash. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe he'll be in Smash Bros. someday. Who knows? <laughs> My God. <laughs> All right, I'll read the back of the case and then we'll move on here. Yeah. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. wear a rooster suit but he, no one calls him chicken oh my god <laughs> that's actually amazing billy hatcher must use the powers of a legendary suit to conquer an evil king who seeks to rule with an everlasting knight slightly mischievous yet always cool only billy can return the light to the land which is called morning land by the way <laughs> great name <laughs> <laughs> they just read what's on the back of the case there's words written on the back of the case. They just read them. And that's what's written on the back of the case. I hope the Japanese name is at least better than Morningland. I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> Lightland, maybe. Lightland. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Zaffer. It was great. We really appreciated your sonic knowledge and information. <laughs> I am very much looking forward to Shadow the Hedgehog. You have no idea. <laughs> oh, Either am you I. have no idea. <laughs> that will be our next uh, Sonic episode. We'll be Sonic Heroes as well as Son- uh, Shadow the Hedgehog. We'll do that as our double A episode, as we call it. And we're mm-hmm. very excited to talk about that at some point in the future. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Take care, man. See you later, Zaffer. All right. See ya. What a nice young man. What a nice young man, as always. So moving right along then with the uh, the games here. Yes. So let's go on to... You want to do Virtua Striker? Yeah. 2002? Let's okay. Let's do that one. So this one, is, again, Sega strikeout again with naming games. Virtua Striker has got to be one of like the most confusing franchise in terms of naming. I don't know how much research oh, you did into this. But I, oh my I unfortunately God. did some. <laughs> okay, so this is Virtua Striker 3 version 2002 for the Nintendo GameCube. Yeah, that's it's exactly how it sounds. Was released May 20th, 2002. Sega published and developed. This was originally on the Dreamcast in 1999, later ported to the GameCube. It's got a pretty decent um like price on ebay it's like 70 bucks so it's, i could see it's, that yep yeah it's one of the rarer sports titles on the gamecube i can i can see that i've never seen a virtual title ever anywhere so nope uh it's the series has got a bit of a history um i don't know much about the franchise like you said i've never played it i've never heard about it until now but it's just got an interesting timeline to me uh it started on the arcades in 1994 again 97 and 98 uh, that was all Virtua Striker 1. So they re-released it three times. And then they put out Virtua Striker 2. <laughs> and then Virtua Striker 3 was then released on the GameCube again in as version 2002. 
And then Virtuous Striker 4 version 2006 was released on arcade, going back to the arcades. And that's about where it left off. <laughs> anyway, there's been about 13 versions of Virtuous Striker, even though there's only four Virtuous Striker games. Isn't that disgusting? Yeah, it's terrible. I wonder why this franchise never took off. So the only thing that Virtuous Striker I know is that it was one of the first games ever to both use uh, 3D computer graphics and texture mapping. That's what it's famous for. Yeah, it's it looks technically very impressive. On the, I watched like the timeline of the franchise and it looks really good even when they first came out in the 90s and it only gets better. Like it looks better with each iteration. So it's... We, we should call Marty and see if he's played this. Hey, this is Marty Thompson. I'm just running the bat here. Uh, and I have not played Virtua Striker 2002. Thanks, Marty. Yeah, I, I when I saw this, I was like, oh, why didn't we put this on the, the soccer episode? But I guess because it's a Dreamcast part, so we wanted to. Exactly. Here. So that's fine. Exactly. But the GameCube version has a couple interesting Easter eggs, or I don't know if you want to call it Easter eggs. It has like interesting uh, features. There's a FC Sonic team, which is kind of neat. Uh, <laughs> that team consists of Sonic, Tails, Knuckles, Amy. We love Amy. Dr. Eggman. Yeah, I love Amy. And then four neutral character or KO characters, Dark KO, Hero KO, and Yuji Naka as the manager of that team. Oh, that's fun. Okay, I yeah, like I that. Like, I like yeah. that too. So that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, this this franchise, I don't know, I guess as a GameCube collector, I can see why you'd go after this game. But as a soccer fan, I don't know why you would. Yes. Uh, or just get a FIFA game or something like that <laughs> if you absolutely need it. Or to. get Sega, uh, Sega Super Smash. Sure. Yeah, that uh, would be probably a better some, choice. Uh, if you want a racist arcade game. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't want that? Uh, and, and then the last interesting fact about this series that I have is that Virtua Striker 4 Arcade uses the Triforce Arcade platform, which is a GameCube-based arcade hardware. So hmm. they continue to use GameCube hardware for their last iteration of this series. Nice. Yeah, kind of cool. Uh, and then there is the Virtua series itself uh, lends its name to a bunch of stuff, but uh, there is another Virtua game on GameCube that is actually very infamous, but we will talk about that when the time comes. Okay. Oh, a little, little bit of a, a preview there to what's mm -hmm. to come. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm just going to hit the back of the case here and then we'll yes, move please. on. <laughs> okay, <Yeah>. cool. <laughs> uh, bring home the cup, bring home the glory. Virtua Striker 3, the latest installment in the popular Virtua Striker arcade series, makes its debut on the Nintendo GameCube with 64 international teams to choose from. This fast and furious paced game recreates the sport of soccer like never before. There's a whole bunch of little points there, but I'm, I'm good. Nope. <laughs> I don't know. Just nope. Yeah, I, I pass on a lot of this stuff. Um, I, I'm getting really tired of hearing playing sports games like I never have before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Second to last game here. Capcom versus SNK2EO to keep going on this terrible naming trend. Yeah, what the hell, Sega? <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, th this game was released September 23rd, 2002, developed by Capcom, actually, and published by Capcom. Yeah. EO just stands for Easy Operation. Um, it's like a game option that's unique to this version. It makes, uh, it's like for novice players. Oh, Funky Mode. Yeah, Funky Kong Mode. <laughs> Fans of Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze would know that reference. But yeah, this game has been ported from arcades to Dreamcast to PS2 to GameCube. So it's been through, it's been through a few relationships before it made it here. So this is, I'd say, our first game that we actually got requested to talk about oh. uh, from Reddit. Uh, there's a lovely Reddit user who asked to 
for us to cover Capcom versus SNK 2 EO. Jeez, I don't want to ever say that title. <laughs> uh, and apparently they were a big fan. So let's talk about it. Okay. Um, well, uh, Mike, you and I are both <laughs> not fighting game fans. So uh, this was a bad game to request, Reddit fan user, but thank you. Uh, all I know about this game is that it's a amalgamation of gameplay elements from Street Fighter, King of Fighter series, and then Street Fighter 3. Garu and Samurai Showdown. It's a it's a 2D fighter. So this game has a lot of playable characters from Capcom and SNK games, which I only know them from uh, Smash Bros. So fans of Smash Bros would know Capcom characters such as Ryu and Ken, mm-hmm. who, are, who are now in Smash Ultimate. There's also characters like Chun Li, Saget, and Balrog. Oh, you are... can play Chun Li. Yes, yep. I yeah, love yeah, yeah. Chun Li. And then SNK characters. We recently got uh, Terry Bogart. He's now in Smash Bros. Okay. Uh, that, that's all I recognize. There's also Joe Higashi, Mei Suranyu, I'm sorry, Reddit user, and Raiden, or Raiden. Well, I'm glad Terry makes an appearance. Always good to see. Always good to see, indeed. So SNK is basically just like an amalgamation or almost compilation of just all those kind of games at that time. Yeah, and I'm terrible with this stuff. Like, every every Final Fight, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, all those games to me melded together into one oh i feel as a kid and there's a reason why it's capcom versus snk as a kid it's street fighter and everything else like, yeah that was that was what it was for me i i remember playing street fighter in like on the arcades and stuff and i i loved that game because all you do is just hit the buttons <laughs> you're just button mashing exactly <laughs> yeah i was more of i didn't really i didn't like street fighter as a kid because i didn't like 2d fighters i i enjoyed a uh, final fight which was like street fighter except it was a, a brawler like you mm-hmm. would you would scroll from left to right and fight enemies like punks and thugs and stuff like that so it had a bit more of a a fighting element with a 2d platformer so I found that a little bit more fun. That, that That's where my uh, 90s fighting game knowledge sits. But I do like the um, the fighting mechanic idea of this game, how instead of picking, you can pick one player to fight with, or you can pick three players to fight with, but the stats get spread out amongst those three fighters. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so you can pick, yeah, you can pick three fighters up front, but they're going to be weaker. I think the Capcom versus games are are usually quite well received and uh, oh, yeah. and, and fun to play. Right, because Capcom understands that their their fans were just in it for the the nostalgia and like the, what they remember. Yeah, and so they're very good at like getting partnerships with you know Capcom versus Marvel. Right, they're excellent in that arena, and I'm glad that they did one here uh, that came on the GameCube. Yeah, and there aren't too many 2D fighter games on the GameCube. No, no, there are there aren't at all. Yeah, because it, it wasn't the place for it. But obviously, with Dreamcast dying, uh, a lot of uh, games got ported over to the GameCube, and this was one of them. So, yeah, there were quite a few on on Super Nintendo, obviously, and and a couple on N sixty four. But yeah, there weren't as many. I don't think there were many on GameCube. There might have been a few more than I'm remembering. But I feel like they started to move over to PlayStation. You know, GameCube was trying to move past, especially for I guess their bigger games. They were trying to move past the arcade style options and yeah. move towards. You know, they wanted to target their gamers, right? That was their whole. Uh, their whole mantra at the time. So, you know, going for the arcade style things was less profitable in their eyes than something like uh, Eternal Darkness. Right. And this and as you like, you said it perfectly, this was an arcade style game, which was the Dreamcast. The Dreamcast was an arcade console. Mm-hmm, exactly. It was an arcade port console. So this, this game would have fit perfectly on the Dreamcast. And obviously it, it was on the Dreamcast. But um, unfortunately, that console met its end too soon. All right kind of all i have to say about this game let me just read the back of the case here 
Uh, more fighters, more fighting styles, more mayhem. Now, two of the world's fighting giants battle on the Nintendo GameCube system. Capcom vs. SNK2EO unleashes lightning-fast animation and classic arcade fighting action in a colossal slugfest. Choose from over 44 characters from the Capcom and SNK fighting universe. Then, customize your character's fighting style with your own favorite fighting groove. The all-new EO mode adds attacks at the touch of a button to deliver devastating combos. Please call it funky mode. Funky mode. Yeah, please go back and, and relabel it. Every couple words, the font size changes. Oh, no. Uh, yes, classic. Like, And some words are bolded, like 44 characters, Nintendo GameCube. But yeah, there's different font sizes. It's, I feel like I'm going to have a stroke. <laughs> so last game on our list here? Yep. Sweet. All right. We got Chaos Field was released on December 20th, 2005. So a fairly late GameCube game. This one was published by O3 Entertainment and developed by Milestone Inc. It's a vertical shoot 'em up game. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's, it's. Uh, I forget. I wish I I had the name and I wish I wrote it down. Taito? Taito, yes, Taito. yes. Thank okay. you, thank you. Yeah. That's the name of the corporation that kind of made this genre with uh, Space Invaders. Yes, yes, thank you. Oh my God, I was like dying yeah, there. Yeah, Taito Corporation. Yeah, we we just call them shmups. Um, yes. Shoot them yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, but shmups sounds, uh, it sounds so weird. <laughs> shmups. It sounds messy. So I believe you can play something that is almost identical to Chaos Field in... Uh, no More Heroes. Uh, I remember playing that uh, in the mini games. That was really fun to do. I think No More Heroes 1 and 2 both have a Chaos Field clone in them. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. But these these were very popular arcade games in Japan, especially mm-hmm. for years, like many, many years. They didn't really come to North America and don't really have a big North American following. But the vertical shooters like Chaos Field are, are quite uh, an attraction in Japan, I would say. I love these types of games too. Um, something like Ikaruga on GameCube, which was another, yes. probably it's considered the better version of this game. Um, I, I like this style of gameplay too, because it's it's just gameplay action, um, shooting and avoiding things. Like there's no story, there's no cutscenes, there's no no lull in the game at all. It's just action, action, action. It's and really it's, hard. It, it Yeah, it's challenging. Like if you die, it's your fault. It's not the game's fault. Yep. It, the controls are basic. You're either going from left to right or down to up. In this case, down to up. This game has three boss fights in every stage, so you get to fight 15 bosses if you make it that far. Jeez. Yeah. So this is, just thinking back, this is a, a very late Dreamcast port. Uh, the latest, actually, uh, on our list here. Uh, December 20th, 2005. Basically a 2006 Dreamcast port. Now, why do you think they took so long to bring this to GameCube? Because it didn't come out in, on Dreamcast until 2004. Oh. Yeah, okay. it, it was, the Dreamcast version was December 2004. Um, and the, I think it was only in Japan. I don't think this was a North American game for the Dreamcast. Right. Right. I, the last Dreamcast game in North America was a, a hockey game in like right. 2002. Yeah. But that's why it took so long. It was, it was that it just, it was a year after the Dreamcast launch, but okay. But yeah, this game wasn't as well received just because Ikaruga, it was compared directly yes. to that as a generic ripoff. Also, terrible release date, as we've we've seen it with many of these games, and we're going to see with more of them coming up too, in the in next uh, episode. Just uh, people releasing that that December window where no one buys games. So I agree. Yeah, anything later than the first week of December, and you're kind of sending a game out to die at that point, <laughs> unless you're like Pokemon or Call of Duty. Yeah, but even then, it just it's no one does that now, right? Like, so yeah, it's very strange. And I I don't so much like the um. The argument that a game, if it's a ripoff, it's bad. I'm sure this game is probably actually 
not terrible. It's just, you know, it, there's, there's been games out there. Yeah. And, you know, shoot 'em ups has a very uh, hardcore fan base. So maybe this game is well received in that community. Also, I love that in on just for the back of the case here, memory card uses zero one block of memory, which is tiny. Wow. Jeez. I don't think I've ever seen that. No, that's got to be one of the smallest games I've ever seen in terms of memory usage. Yeah. That just it was just jarring to see that. <laughs> All right. Um, let me read the back of the case here real fast. Use your guns. Blast them. Power up. Avoid fire. Nonstop action unfolds over five challenging levels, each with three tough stages to test even the most confident arcade jockey skills. Attacks include beam weapons, missiles, shields, swords, special attacks, and the legendary Chaos Field. Yeah, when I saw this at first, I thought it was like a Sonic spinoff, like a Chaos Emerald kind of thing, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'd also like to mention as we close out this Dreamcast port slash Sonic episode that there are obviously a couple of Dreamcast ports that we missed because they're either in other episodes or, uh, well, that's basically it. <laughs> they're in other yeah. episodes. Uh, one of them being Crazy Taxi, right. which we talked about in the first episode of this podcast. And obviously Crazy Taxi was a port from the Dreamcast that came to GameCube. And just wanted to mention that for uh, all the, the fans of uh, Crazy Taxi out there. Who are like, where's the Crazy Taxi episode? Of course, yeah, or, uh, if anybody's wondering, yeah, why their favorite other games weren't on this episode, that's why. Go back and listen to our other stuff, please. <laughs> cool. Well, I think that about wraps it up for this episode. Neil, just want to ask you, if you had the option, what game would you recommend or pick up yourself uh, from this list? Yeah, so I don't own any of these games, actually. I'm sorry. Um, but uh, if I were to pick one up, and I think I will go out and pick this up at some point, would be Billy Hatcher. Um, mm-hmm. It just seems like the game, my type of game. It's fun. It's a platformer. It's goofy. And it looks like it would be a good time to play in 2020. Uh, that would probably be my first choice. If I decide to cheap out, I'd probably go after Chaos Field because I like shoot 'em ups Fair enough. Yeah. How about yourself, Mike? What, uh, what game or games would you consider? I think for me, it would definitely be Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. Nice. I remember playing that as a kid uh, on the, the demo disc of uh, of Double Dash. And, you know, I'd really just like to uh, be able to play more of that game instead of the first two levels. So and I didn't know about the whole multiplayer thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. I would I, I would say in, in terms of the Sonic games that we talked about today, that that would be the one I would probably go after, too, just because mm-hmm. it sounds like the most polished. Unfortunately, it was their first game out. And then it sounds like it declined from that. <laughs> other, yeah. other than the collections of games like those yeah. sound like fun too but the uh the sonic 3d games sounded like that they just went downhill slowly and how much that. was sonic adventure 2 battle again oh 60 yeah i i, I thought it was a like relatively high price because i'd like to pick it up to be honest because it is a fun game to play but we'll see hey, we'll see 60 bucks is still less than a uh, full price game today so yeah good point good point yeah. so thank you so much for listening to the gamecube was cool podcast Next week's episode, episode 11, Arcade Sports Games. So we're going to be talking about uh, some of your favorite arcade sports games growing up, such as NHL Hits, NBA Street, Red Card, which is barely a soccer game. It's just violence. Yep. It's more it's more of a wrestling game than anything else. <laughs> and there's actually going to be 20 games that we're going to cover. So we are going to be just hitting them uh, as fast as we can. Uh, we'll be talking about more of the franchises themselves rather than the individual games, obviously, for time's sake. We're going to have a bunch of friends of the show on. We're going to have uh, our friend Harrison, who was on earlier 
for the Simpsons episode. We're going to have friend of the show Brian Tong, who will be on to talk about uh, NBA Street. And we're obviously uh, going to have Marty back to talk about the soccer games. Great. And uh, last but not least, Braden Kerr will be on Brother of Daniel, who was on for the Smash Bros. episode. He's going to be on talking about NFL Street 2 and only NFL Street 2. The game that has been eluding him for the last 25 years. <laughs> well, everybody, uh, thanks for listening. We really appreciate the support of the podcast. We're seeing some really great feedback and a little bit of growth here and there every week, which is nice to see. This is a really fun passion project for Mike and I to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't forget to uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify. We're on Podbean as well. That's actually where you can listen to the podcast, right? On Podbean itself. Yeah, you can listen to it on Podbean. Yeah. yeah. All right. Do we have a lot of downloaders on Podbean? Uh, it's like a 8%, uh, okay. or like 4%, 4%, I think. Well, we so. love you 4%ers as well. <laughs> and, uh, don't, and also check us out on Instagram where we are the GameCube pod. Um, we post once a week and usually in the stories whenever episodes launch. So check us out there. We'd love to interact with you. If you have any questions or anything about the show, we'd love to, uh, to hear some feedback. Yeah. I already got some great interactions so far. So it's been really fun. Yeah. All right, everybody. We'll have a good week and, uh, stay safe. See you later. 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. Game.